Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In season three, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on resilience is performance artist, dancer, and coach, Peps Javier. As Peps states, being married to the purpose, not the plan. Because you can have the perfect plan and then something goes wrong and then you may have to readjust the plan, but you don't want to necessarily readjust the purpose. So having the clarity, decisive, committed, action-oriented, and then coachable slash open-minded would be like the main qualities. Hey guys, my name is Peps. I am an artist and a coach. I act dancing professionally, and I'm also a life success coach where I help a lot of people either figure out their next steps in life from profession, uh, career goals, personal life goals, so on and so forth. And my company is called Pep Talk with Peps. Excellent, Peps. So one of the first things right off the bat, so thank you so much for contributing to the interview series, Rising Through Resilience, How to Be More Resilient During Turbulent Times with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global. One of the things I really found fascinating is this idea of surrounding yourself with the right support system. Mm-hmm. How has that shown up for your life? Oh my God, I think that's probably one of the biggest things to really take inventory of. You know, we're so surrounded by information from either people, media, our jobs, that having the right people that feed, you know, your, you mentally and emotionally and spiritually is so important, especially when it comes through making it through a, a difficult time. You know, you want to be around the people that are, that have either gone before you and can encourage you or people that can just uplift you when you're not sure how to do it for yourself. And for me in specific, from everything that I've done from being an entertainer to launching my own business. Thankfully, a lot of my friends are in the same space, same mental space, same professional space. So we've all have had to like figure out things together, support each other through like the setbacks, the difficulties, and then really trying to hold each other accountable to do the things that we said that we would do, but also making sure that each single person is doing well. Because it's also just as important too, not just having success, but mentally and emotionally and physically being and feeling well. Yeah. I love also how you brought back your childhood and how you had to always be solution oriented. Like it was almost something like 
you just had to learn like training wheels. Can you expound on that? Uh, so I had a pair, I have parents who are teachers and they were pretty strict. And by that, I mean, they were strict in making sure that we knew how to get our stuff done, regardless of what was happening. And growing up the youngest of four from an immigrant family, a lot of times my parents were trying to figure out how to make it in America. And I was trying to figure out how to make it in school. So growing up in, a, in an environment where we were all trying to figure out so many things at the same time and so many moving different parts is one of the reasons why I'm constantly thinking strategy. Like usually when I'm dealing with something or an issue or even with a client, a lot of what I'm thinking about is what is a strategy that I need to get the best result possible? And that just came from figuring out how to communicate in English when I spoke with Spanish. And that also came about from being the youngest of four is also like, how do I get attention from my parents when I have three other siblings who also need attention and love and support? So I think it's growing up the youngest of four, growing up an immigrant, and then growing up in an environment where my family and I needed to figure out how America worked is why we're always so like solution oriented. Have you always been money-minded? You know, you speak to learning how to make money, you know, at an early age since you didn't really grow up with a lot of it. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm money-minded in the sense where like money is my driving force or my driving motivation. Where it shows up is because a lot of what we do is usually attached with a price tag, you know? And I think for anybody's lifestyle, our lifestyles are tied to our finances and everybody has a specific amount that they pay per month to literally just get by, whether it is rent or the mortgage, food, um, clothes, cell phone, utility bills, everything has a price tag, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. And where money shows up is in my childhood is we were somewhat limited, you know, limited as to how many things we could do, limited as to how many things you could afford, you know, the vacations that we couldn't take or how we took time off. So a lot of those things would show up in my childhood. And as I've gotten older, it's like seeing the things that I want to provide for myself and my family in the future. It comes up because money is a factor, unfortunately, you know, but also money can be fun. You know, I think money can be like a fun game to play with. You know, you look at it as a game or as a resource or as a tool, it can change your perspective as opposed to it being like your driving force. It can just be a, like the icing on the cake, so to speak, if that makes sense. You also speak about signing with you know, Movement Talent Agency and mm -hmm. how that entire process was daunting to you. What are some kernels of, of um, inspiration that you got from that whole experience? Um, I think just the biggest thing from that whole experience, especially, especially the meeting with Lindsay, was being so clear as to what I wanted and not settling for anything else but that. Because I remember when we met, it was just to sign me in to just model and do commercial acting. And I also wanted to be signed as a dancer. And when she offered me the contract and it didn't include dancing, she was like, you can audition for dancing. And I just remember saying, I, it's basically like, take it all <laughs> or, or leave it all. Kind of was kind of my energy. And she came back with a dance contract within two minutes. 
And just having that clarity of vision and that clarity of what you want and being so, so dedicated to that vision is probably one of the biggest things that I was able to see and practice lead to what I want. Yeah. And now, you know, moving forward in your coaching business, you know, you I love this fact that you mentioned you operate from a perspective of how can you support your clients? Like, what is it about them that they need rather than what is it about my ego? Um, how has that shown up for your, you know, for yourself or for your life? I mean, God, it's like, I always think about like, if I make it about me, then it's like a losing battle type of thing. Because at some point, you know, we usually start things, or at least I did, because we enjoy it. You know, it's like I enjoyed dancing, so I started dancing. I enjoyed acting, so I started acting. I enjoyed public speaking. And it gets to a point where once it gets so familiar and kind of like the shine wears off and it's not as literally literary or as or as cool as it used to be, it's what's going to keep me motivated and excited to keep doing it. And I think the biggest thing for me is seeing people literally get their transformation, you know, or literally get some inspiration or some form of strategy that makes them feel like they should continue forward with whatever it is. It could be a job, it could be a relationship. It could even be something as simple as this friend from church that I have, her name is Jamie. I remember I posted this dance video from dance class years ago. And she said to me that one dance video inspired her to switch careers and focus on her dreams, you know? And that's when I realized is if I make it about me, then I kind of miss it. But if I make it about somebody else or if I make it about somebody that I could potentially impact in a positive way, then that is the biggest way of paying it forward, you know, because I think whatever anybody's gifts are, it's not for me, it's for, for literally the other person to receive and benefit. And also, you know, in there, you mentioned about Anne-Marie and how her being a mind-body alignment expert mm -hmm. allowed you to transform your own scarcity mindset. Could you expound on that a little more? Oh, my goodness. So Anne-Marie is like a force of nature. Like, people think I'm a great coach, and I am. She is the, the godfather of coaches. It's, she's incredible. I think what it is with Anne-Marie is, is she leads with such compassion and loving energy but it's also very informed, rooted in education and rooted in a, in a way that makes it digestible. And one of the reasons that I like to coach the way that I like to coach is because I think having inspiration is important, but also having information is usually much more easier to return to from a mental perspective. So I'm working with Anne-Marie and having her ask me, you know, specific questions about my scarcity mindset, you know, why do I operate the way that I do? Give me her unbiased perspective and then her strategic solutions that allowed me to actually do the practical work while also doing the mental work to transform this thing. So perhaps how do you define resilience? Um, I think resilience is more of a byproduct of being like, committed and being committed to a very clearly defined either vision, value, or ideal. I think for you to be resilient, I think you need to know what it is you're being resilient for or why. You know, I 
can use my entertainment career as an example, is the only way I've been able to overcome all of the things that I've either struggled with or have had challenges with is because I have such a clear vision that I was committed to of the type of artist and entertainer that I wanted to be and the type of lifestyle that I wanted to create. So I think resilience is more of a byproduct of being so clear on what your vision is and then being committed to it. Because then once you have clarity, then you can decide, you know, in either direction. And then once you decide, then you commit to that direction that you want to take. And then from there, almost everything, it's going to sound easier said than done, but almost everything should fall into place. Yeah. In the article, you mentioned also traits of resilient people. What are some of some of the traits that you find that are most aligned to what you bring out to the world? I think most of the traits, or I think the most common trait that I feel that resilient people do possess is for one having that clarity of vision and that clarity of purpose, because I think that is the beginning of everything. I think the most times that I've personally struggled is when I lost clarity and when I lost like the vision that I had at one point or the driving force. And I think with that, it's also then being decisive, you know, because the original meaning of the word decide was almost to eliminate or to cut off, you know, and it's almost like cutting off all other options from what it is that you want. So I think being clear, being decisive, being committed, being action, action oriented, and then also being coachable and being open-minded, you know, being open-minded in the sense that you can actually learn what you need to learn, develop a strategy. One thing that I coached in one of my boot camps is being married to the purpose, not the plan, because you can have the perfect plan and then something goes wrong and then you may have to readjust the plan, but you don't want to necessarily readjust the purpose, you know? So having that clarity, decisive, committed, action-oriented, and then coachable slash like open-minded would be like the main qualities that I would say today for resilient people. In the article, I also mentioned a similarity or a difference to the idea of courage. Do you see them as one and the same or different? Um, I don't necessarily see them as one of the same or necessarily different, but I think I like Les, Les Brown's definition of courage, which he says it's, it's like from the heart. Um, and I think it's more of a, I think courage is more of a, of a posture or state of being that you want to lead with. And I think, I think you could be resilient with the wrong heart posture. You know, I think you can be resilient with the posture of wanting to prove somebody wrong or wanting to prove yourself right. I think you could also be resilient from the sense of the victim's mentality or the mentality that somebody's always out to get you, that you have to persist in order, in order to survive. So I think now I would expand upon saying that courage is more of a, of a heart posture that should fuel your resiliency. Um, I don't want to necessarily say resilience is a byproduct because I don't think it's the most proper term. I just think resilience is a manifestation of being clear and committed. But how your resilience shows up, I think it has more to do with your heart posture than anything else, which is what I feel like courage is. Because courage is, for me, coming from the heart and having that faith and fervor that anything and everything is possible, 
And if you actually commit to that vision, but you're open to maybe the plan or open to the changes and you're open to receiving and giving, then that would affect how you're resilient and that, that would also then affect the quality of the outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, in the article, you so beautifully expressed a resilient person, your mom, Rosa. Um, can you just, you know, tell me some examples of how resilience has shown up in her own life and how she's met it face to face? Oh, my mom. She's, <laughs> I always say people need to meet my mom because she's an experience. She's somebody that she loves people. She loves to cook. She loves to like welcome people in and she loves to really provide that like open so I think with my mom, the biggest thing is that she's had so many issues and so many hurdles. And she grew up in the Dominican Republic, wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and But she was also like a political activist, you know, growing up, um, really fighting for people's rights. And that's always been my mom. She's always been a fighter. But then you wouldn't really know it because she's always like cooking in the kitchen. She's always throwing a party. And her overcoming so many issues while still being that welcoming, loving person. You know, that welcoming, loving person, always fighting for her kids. Even now, you know, I'm the youngest of four, but, you know, we're all adults. We all have moved out of the house. We all have our own individual lives. You know, when I had COVID last July, she was ordering me soups via Amazon Prime, ordering me food, making sure I had all my medication. She was calling my godfather, who's a doctor in the Dominican Republic, making sure I had a treatment plan. And she just goes above and beyond for everyone, to, sometimes to her detriment, you know? But I think that's one of the best things about her. And despite everything that she's seen, like on a negative, from a negative side, she's had the ability to still be so loving and open. Yeah. You know, and, and on the flip side, I know you um, sort of detailed, you know, where your aunt jokingly mentioned, are you sure you can make a living doing, you know, doing your passion? <laughs> Uh, how is how was that statement? How did that statement affect you in terms of your persistence? Um, I think because I've always been a little bit competitive, it was mostly like we'll, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see type of thing. You know, granted, you wouldn't want to hear those statements. Um, and I think one of the things why I'm, I'm kind of competitive is because I grew up, you know in a household where my parents were like, you have to be a really great student. You have to excel in everything that you do. You know, you have to make sure that you're doing the best job that you possibly can. And I think they instilled that me at, a, at an early age is what matters most is results versus what is said, even versus what I say about my results. You know, because usually the result is the proof of what you did, did do or what you didn't do or how prepared you were or how unprepared you were. So when she said that, I was like, I will prove you wrong <laughs> more so than she's right. Like I never thought that she was right. Thank you. You know, you also detail about your persistence with going through some hardship, like, you know, severe car accident, laid off from work, your breakup, you know, your grandfather who passed away that you had the power of attorney for. how do you make it through? Oh, God, especially all those events were literally back to back. It was between like 2017 and 2018, where it was like my life was like a domino effect of like tragedies. Um, 
The first thing that comes to mind, to be honest, is sometimes the best thing to do is almost take it day by day or like dealing with the immediate circumstance and then dealing with what needs to be dealt with after. So I think on a practical level, is almost addressing what's immediate first. And then just focusing on that from a practical level. First is, if I would have sat down and thought of everything that was going wrong, the car accident and getting laid off, and my grandfather was getting even more sick, if I would have thought of everything at once and not realized I couldn't take immediate action on all those things, I probably would have been way more overwhelmed. Um, but I think the biggest thing that really, really helped me is for one, I'm really trusting that it was going to get better and reminding myself that it's going to be okay. And if it's not okay now, it means it will be at some point. And a personal practice is I become way more spiritual and like I've actively have deep a relationship with God and really fueling myself spiritually and mentally, you know, because it's in, it's in those moments where you need to almost like outsource your inspiration. You need to almost outsource, you know, your motivation, finding other people who've gone through difficult struggles, finding other people who've been in your position. You know, there's people like Lisa Nichols, who I remember watched a video of hers years ago where she was saying she was a motivational speaker who was diagnosed with depression, you know, and what she did to overcome her depression while still being a motivational speaker who's so public. You know, so also like finding practical things that will literally fuel me up, help me so much. And then the last thing is learning to ask for help. Especially when my grandfather passed, you know, he was somebody that completely changed my life in the best possible way. And when I, when he passed, I, I feel like I was not myself for months. I, my memory went out the window. I could barely manage things. And even the way I received the news, the way he passed, the, the nursing home, they, they mixed up a lot of the information. So they called my mom first, which isn't supposed to happen. And then when she called me, I didn't believe it. I was like, no, I was like, this process is wrong. Um, but I was just so in shock. And I knew I needed to ask for help, especially because as power of attorney, I needed to do everything technically for, you know, the bureau and everything. So learning to ask for help and being able to communicate to people like my mom is like, hey, I can't do this right now by myself. You know, so given your family dynamics and background, how have you cultivated resilience in your life? Uh, gosh, I feel like my, my, my whole life has been a resilience, like, exam um but i said i kind of said that facetiously but i think just in everything that we by we i mean my family and i have like gone through you know moving to a country and then not learning the not knowing the language or the culture you know innately there's going to be hurdles that we have to like overcome especially if we wanted to leave leave a life that we didn't want and lead a different one right you know in my entertainment career i knew from an early age i wanted to be an actor so pursuing entertainment from, you know, my teens up until now, you know, naturally through life, there's always going to be different tests and roadblocks. And I'm so grateful that I was able to learn from people like Anne-Marie at such an early age, you know, at a, in my early 20s. And 
learning from people that had more of what I wanted and seeing how they operated, how they spoke, how they thought, um, allowed me to better develop resiliency. And I think in a weird way, having parents who were always telling me to almost like figure out things on my own, like conditioned me from an early age to think of like, okay, what is the solution to this obstacle? Because usually I do things as obstacles or as challenges versus as an immovable object or wall that I can't get past. Usually my my question is like, okay, what is the solution that we need to find to get past this this level? You know, they often say resilience is like a muscle that can mm -hmm. be strengthened. What are your five things that someone can do or can be to become more resilient? Um, for one is getting clarity. I think getting clarity and maintaining that clarity of vision and of purpose, knowing what it is that you want to do, knowing why it is that you want to do it, and that should feed almost everything else. I think number two, from a very practical perspective, is becoming a student of like personal development. You know, reading books, listening to audios, podcasts, interviews, watching videos that could either have to relate with mindset in general or building confidence or how to develop emotional intelligence. And a personal development is a never ending subject if you really take it on. And I say that because I've been studying personal development consciously since at least maybe 2012, you know? And it's never ending. It's always like, okay, at first I had left my integrity. Now I want to improve my confidence. Now I want to improve my ability to trust. Now I want to actually improve my communication. And everything is so interconnected that really cultivating a personal development practice is so, so critical. Um, then I would say having a great environment, having a great support system. You know, thankfully, almost everybody in my immediate circle is studying some form of personal development. Thankfully, my, my apartment is mine and my own, and I only really allow people in my space who I feel like I can really like gel with, learn from, or teach, hopefully. Uh, and then speaking of learning, I think going back to the obstacle mentality, I think everything in our lives is meant to like show us something, you know? show us something and learn from every specific um, a friend of mine, her name is, is Millie. She's, a, she's an amazing uh, training educator. You know, she always says, whenever you feel like you're in a rut, it's usually because you're missing something that you need to learn. And it's usually always around you, you know? So a lot of times, whenever there's like an obstacle or a challenge, I'm asking myself, I'm like, what do I have to learn from this specific moment? What do I have to learn from this specific instance? What can I learn that I'm not paying attention to that maybe would be the, the, the key to opening that door, you know? And then lastly, I think is doing the work. I think um, whatever that means for a lot of people, I know we live in a world where it's like, you know, the law of attraction and manifestation, but in the word attraction, there's two words. There's, a, there's attract and then there's action, you know? And it's like, we mentally just think about something, but we don't do any of the physical legwork to prepare for it. Then nine times out of 10, it's not going to come to it. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
you know, now I would like to transition into what I call brainstorming right now. Okay. Um, and one of the things you mentioned in there, sort of this movement about coming together proactively, and you shared a story. Um, and I would love for us to just do a deep dive on that and how maybe uh -huh. we could create some solutions to that problem. Um, are we referring to the charity event? Yeah, absolutely. You know, how okay, you're great. able to affect change and how that created sort of this, you know, hope and, and, and dream. And, and, you know, through that initiative, you both were able to collaborate. Um, so, yeah, so I think with, well, with that specific event, the intention was really just to give back and help, you know, it was me, one of my best friends, Valley, she's a singer um, as well for this band, Emotional Oranges. And we were in my, literally behind me um, on my couch, we were just, one morning we were we were studying how to trade, how to invest in the financial markets. It was 2020, like right when the pandemic was really still at its peak. And we were just thinking about how interesting it was that we were at home, like learning ways of making money, like remotely and from our computers. And it was and we were cold, like we were in my apartment, but we were cold. And then we were just thinking about people outside who were either like getting evicted. And then we were thinking about in LA, there's there's Skid Row with tons of homeless people, you know? And I just remember feeling that from when I was tired of being in this lockdown, like in my computer, <laughs> I was like, I miss being outside. I miss dancing. I miss seeing my friends. I miss like walking down and feeling like I'm not going to get sick. Um, but two, I just missed being able to just go outside and thinking about like, if I feel this way and I'm at home, for one, it's almost like a first world problem type of complaint. But then two, it's like thinking about the people that don't really have the option to go into a place where they would feel less cold, you know? And we were just thinking of a way of, in which we could actually get back in a way that would also like satisfy us, you know? And we created the Blanket Project, um, and it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. We were able to raise thousands of dollars within, like, I think it was less than two weeks, maybe, like, only a week. Um, we were able to buy comforters, we had blankets, we collected tons of clothes, so much so that we left the event, and there was, like, a buffet of clothes still waiting for people to pick them up. It's get wrong you know, which is a huge homeless population. Um, and then the goal with that is just hopefully to really trickle down more solutions, you know, trickle down more people to feel inspired to do something. You know, me and Valley just went to the U-Haul and we were, were driving down LA for like two days, going to different like dollar stores, buying out their, their comforters and blankets and asking random people for donations. And it was one of the best, almost like guerrilla style types of things that we were able to do. But the intention was and still is, is to hopefully inspire more people to like really just think of what can I do with what I have that could benefit somebody else. Yeah. And you know, what comes to mind is what I allude in my new book um, about sort of this idea of bartering. I really feel like we lost that sense that people are so mm. connected to, and obviously you need money to survive, but um, that energy for energy exchange is powerful and knowledge is powerful. And, you know, your sort of movement idea just sparked an idea of, 
why don't we just try to give someone that knowledge base because we all have innate gifts and talents and that talent that gift can be exchanged to one another it doesn't have to be a one-way street and i think by doing that it becomes more generative and becomes more giving uh, and then it also it's like lingers right it's you you, know, you give someone a blanket if they're cold that's definitely useful but if you give someone um, a solution to a, a problem or, or an angst or even an avenue of, of new discovery it can last a lifetime yeah and i think um I think the only thing with the homeless population, also, the, it's also, I haven't been and seen every single homeless population in the world. Um, but I know in New York versus LA, I feel like in LA, there's more of a mental health uh, factor in, in the homeless population that I feel like isn't really addressed. And I think what's been unfortunate is even just now recently with all of the things that we're seeing happening in the world, you know, but studies show is like, there's technically enough money in the world now that we may not even have to be having this problem of homelessness. You know? There may not be a real almost need to have it persist, you know? So I think my biggest question has been is like, well, what, what is a conversation that maybe, or who should we be having the conversations with, you know? And what do we need to actually communicate and address? Because I think it's unfortunate to see a lot of people actually be mentally and physically unwell and feeling surprised. I, I'll never forget there was this, this dad and his son at the event and they both took like one shirt each that's all they took and we were like no please take more like we have plenty of options and they said no there's more people that need clothes too we will be fine with just these, these two items and that's coming from people who are homeless you know so i think my biggest question has been like well how can we actually make a dent if not completely obliterate this problem especially because it's Seemingly, it seems so much more feasible to mass produce a solution to a health issue like COVID, naturally so, you know, and then not to make it a political discussion, but everything that's been happening in recent times, it's like, there seems to be a lot of ease to accomplish certain things. Why can't we accomplish this thing? You know, why can't we accomplish an issue that's been longstanding for so long? I think it also starts with the person. Like, I, I think you need to figure out what their ask is. What is it that they actually need, not what we think that they need. Uh, and that's a personalized um, human to human type of conversation. Um, but no, I, I, think, uh, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in, in that area. But I just love the start, like having the conversation is the start. So that's, that's really fantastic. Thank um, you. So, you know, I really love today's conversation. Where can my audience find out more about PEPS? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I absolutely enjoyed our conversation. Um, I'm a social media person, um, so usually I'm really active on Instagram. So my personal Instagram page is peps underscore Javier, um, and I'm pretty active on there. I was going to give up my phone number, but that, that won't work. Um, so Instagram would be the best thing. I love connecting with a lot of people so 
anyone and everyone is welcome to reach out to me there. Okay, wonderful, Peps. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated it. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.